Well, hey, church, good morning. Go ahead and have a seat. Welcome to Providence North Community Church. My name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors on staff, and uh, if, today's a holiday, so you get me. So welcome. We love this. I get, I'm your favorite holiday pastor, as it was shared this morning. So, um, But we're glad that you're with us. Uh, today, we're going to continue walking through the book of Ephesians, as we've been doing so over the last six weeks. And I dare to say that this has been a fairly enjoyable time, Right? Paul hasn't been admonishing us. He hasn't been warning us. It it hasn't been these strong words coming at us. But what he has been doing is throughout these first three chapters is sharing some incredibly deep and rich theological truths throughout this book. And he's inciting awe and worship among his believers. The book of Ephesians as a whole is a lesson in worship. From the prayers that we've seen Paul share in chapter 1 to the praise that Paul has been lavishing onto God throughout the book so far, Paul has been pleading with us to focus on a couple of different things. First and foremost, he wants our thoughts and our attention to be less about us and more focused on him. Paul wants our focus to be on the character of God. He wants our focus to be on the person and work of Jesus Christ. And also throughout the book, Paul has been pointing us to eternity. He's pointing us to something much greater and grander than anything we could ever think or imagine. And as Sean put it a few weeks back, Paul is leading us to this mountaintop view above the tree lines, above any obstruction that we may have of our view. And he's, sh- he's sharing with us this incredibly vivid imagery of who God is and what he's done for us. For instance, we've seen throughout the book that God had predestined. He's chosen us. He has adopted us. He's made us into his sons and daughters. God has redeemed us. He sent his son to atone for our sin. And in doing so, the scriptures say he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. God has sealed us. He's forgiven us. He's united us as one. The dividing walls and barriers that we tend to put up due to our sin nature, our desire to live within homogenous people groups, has been leveled and destroyed. And we're, not, we're now all part of the family of God. And if that wasn't enough, what we read last week, this is just this incredible truth. I'm still wrestling with this, is that God is going to use us, the church, you and I. We are now going to be the tool or the vehicle in which God will inform the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places of his wisdom. Think about that. He's going to use the church to inform the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places of his infinite wisdom. That's incredible. And yet sometimes it's difficult for us to even grasp that. Imagine that God would do that. Or if, you're, if I'm being honest, there are times when I struggle to trust in God's power and what he can do due to the situation or circumstances in which I find myself. You see, it's during really difficult times or trying times that my perspective or outlook on God's power and all that he can do through me is truly lacking. Because when I look at the situation and I think, man, I've done everything I can do, there's surely nothing else God can do. And I ask that question, what could he possibly do? Well, I think Paul's leading us to answer that question today in the scriptures. Throughout these last three chapters, Paul has painted this absolutely beautiful and amazing picture of who God is. And in those same breaths, Paul has also spoken of our sin nature, of our disobedience, of our lack of faith, of our inability to save ourselves. And the purpose of all that is to bring us to where we are today. I think what Paul wants to do is he wants to humble us in such a way that our focus is taken off of ourselves. It's taken off of our abilities or lack thereof, and we then turn and place our focus squarely on God and what he can do. 
And so I want to begin this morning by probably looking, or looking at what is probably one of the most quoted verses in the book of Ephesians. So if you have your Bibles or your scripture journals, go ahead and open those up to Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 20, and then we're going to work our way back from verse 14. So verse 20, Ephesians 3, says this. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power and work within us. Now Christians absolutely love this verse, don't we? We love this verse. We love using this verse in our lives, but there's a problem. The problem is not that we actually use this verse. It's how we tend to use it. For instance, we typically use this verse to describe God like this. For him, to him who's able to get me a better job, to him who's able to get me a bigger house, to him who's able to get me a better salary, or one way that I wish some of y'all would use this is to him who's able to get me to church on time, let that power work in me. I'm joking. But in all seriousness, this is how Christians typically love to use this verse. And I believe the reason we use it this way is because we would rather have God change our circumstances or the situation that we're in rather than change our perspective in the midst of what we're experiencing. And unfortunately, generally speaking, our imaginations are pretty small. We walk around quoting Ephesians 3.20, fully believing that a better job, a bigger house, and a better salary will make, will make our lives better. And C.S. Lewis, he puts it this way. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. Sometimes our imaginations are too small. But what if we began to actually believe that God wants to do something in us and through us that's much bigger and way more glorious than all of that? Then the better job, the better house, the mud pies that we so often pursue. What if we begin to believe that through the power of God, through Christ's work in us, we could rise above any situation for the glory of God? Well, that's what Paul's praying for in this passage. Remember, Paul is writing to the Christians in Ephesus at this point while he's in prison. And according to what we read in verse 13 last week, the Ephesians are discouraged, and they're most likely experiencing suffering. They're discouraged because Paul is in jail. Paul, this man that they look up to, this man that they admire, they love, this gospel giant, if you will, the one that helped plant this church. He's now in jail, and he's suffering because of his life's mission to proclaim the good news of Christ. And the Ephesians are worried. They're worried for him. They love this man. They truly are worried about his well-being. But I can also imagine they're worried about themselves, too. Their fear doesn't end with Paul. You see, I have no doubt in my mind that they themselves are worried about the pain and suffering that they might endure as well. They're looking at Paul, and they're wondering, what if that comes my way? If they aren't already experiencing it. The church in Ephesus was most likely experiencing anxiety, hardship, pain. They were experiencing loss and tragedy. And more than likely, they were experiencing persecution because of their faith in the gospel. And so the result of that and what we see in verse 13 last week is they're discouraged. And Paul says this, don't lose heart, church. Don't lose heart. And then in verse 14, Paul begins to pray for them. But as you can see, he's not going to pray for their situation in life. He's not going to pray for less persecution or physical healing or for God to redeem the situation they're in. No, Paul is going to pray that God would give them the ability and power to make it through life for the glory of God. Paul prays for them to have a different and right perspective 
And so the first thing we're going to see is what I want to call the fatherhood of God. Paul is going to show us that there is power in the fact that God is our father. So look at verse 14 and 15 for me. Ephesians 3 says this, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on on earth is named. Now, if you were with us at our prayer service on Thursday night, you see in verse 14 that this is the, one of the few times in the New Testament that it references a posture in prayer. Paul wants to humble ourselves. He wants us to be humbled as we go before the Father and everything that he's described and what he's done for us in the first three chapters. So he says, I bow my knees before the Father. And what he says, he shows us that in order, to abil- in order for us to experience the power of God, our experience is going to be limited until we understand the full depth of our relationship with him. God is our father, Paul says. Paul is telling us that our hearts should be drawn to him like a child is to their father. That's where it all begins. Paul shows us that he's the creator God by saying that every family in heaven on earth is named by him, but that he's also our father God. And so what this means is he's committed to you. He's always there for you. He's never too busy or distracted by you. You don't have to schedule time to meet with him. Unlike many other relationships that we have, we don't have to bargain or schedule time to be with God. And that's incredible. Think about that. God, the uncreated creator, the ruler of the universe and the cosmos, the one who set all life into being, and you have immediate and unlimited access to him because he's your dad, which means our approach to him needs to be like that of a child. We can't possibly experience the power of God if we aren't dependent on God like a three-year-old is with their father. Most of you could probably relate to this, all of you with four or five kids, myself included. A three-year-old is dependent on their parents for everything. The food that they eat, the clothes they wear, the house they live in, all of it. In any and every situation that a three-year-old is in, they are completely dependent on their parents. And that's the type of relationship that God wants us to have with him. Now, This is important. I want you to hear this. I'm not discounting the fact that this idea can be extremely difficult for some. This is true because there are some in here that struggle to see God as a father. And I want you to know that I understand that. Because oftentimes our inability to trust God as our father comes from the fact that in one way or another, we struggle with our earthly fathers. Whether your experience was good or bad, at one point in time, your earthly fathers have failed you. And maybe multiple times. And at some point in time, you failed them. But I believe the point that Paul is trying to make here is that God the Father is nothing like our earthly father. Your earthly father has never and will never be able to do for you what our heavenly and everlasting father has done for you and can do for you. And as we've seen throughout the book of Ephesians, it would be impossible for our earthly fathers to live up to the example that is set by God and what he's done for us. It would be completely inappropriate for us to try and compare our fathers here on earth with the one who created the stars and the heavens the one who brought light and darkness into being, the one who sacrificed his son on our behalf so that we could spend eternity with him. It would be unfair to do so. And so again, whether your experience with your earthly father was good or bad, what Paul is showing us is that our perspective of God the Father needs to be much greater than that of our earthly father so that we can come to him like a child in need and experience his power in our lives. And that incredible, unlimited access to God the Father, this incredible fatherhood relationship that we now have with God, doesn't come from anything that we've done or can do to earn that. The power of that relationship was a gift given to us. It was a gift given to us in the midst of our disobedience, in the midst of our rebellion. 
through the blood of Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what Paul's praying for in verses 16 and 17 in Ephesians 3. Take a look. Paul says, I pray that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So as you can see, Paul isn't praying for a different situation in life. He's praying to give you greater strength in your life, to be strengthened with power through the spirit in your inner being. Don't you just kind of, how, you long for that kind of strength, don't you? You long for that. I long for that. But why is that? Why do we long for that strength? Because life is difficult. Life is tough. And not only is it difficult and tough for the everyday person, but the Christian life can be even more difficult and tough. As we're going to see in the coming chapters, the way that Paul is going to call us to live is, in fact, beyond our own abilities. And so we have to rely on God to be strengthened with the power of the Holy Spirit in our inner beings so that we can live in such a way. And the only way that all that happens is by the Holy Spirit making it possible for Christ to live in you. And yet the power of Christ's presence inside of you is another difficult perspective for us to grasp. Because again, it's nothing of our own doing. The Bible says when Christ comes to live inside of you, he gives you strength, guidance, confidence, joy, peace, all through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that happens the moment you put your trust in Jesus. In that very moment, Christ comes and lives inside of you. But that brings up another question for you. If you're looking through the text, as we know, Paul's writing to Christians here. So the question is, isn't Christ already dwelling in their hearts if they place their trust and faith in him? The answer is yes and no. You see, oftentimes, again, the perspective we have on Jesus dwelling within us is very small. We tend to keep Jesus tucked away somewhere in our souls. We pull him out of the cupboard or the drunk drawer when he's needed most. But the perspective that Paul is praying for us is to have one that assumes that the very presence of Christ in our hearts, the one who gives shape and strength at the very core being of ours, is also the one who takes up residence in us fully. And as Christ takes up residence in us, then in a very real way, he redefines us and he changes us. Think of it this way. Uh, Providence North, we reside in Bonnie's Performing Arts Dance Studio. But our ability to change and move things and rearrange the building is limited. Quite frankly, at the end of each day, we try to leave the building exactly the way we did before we arrived. And the reason why is because we're only leasing this space. Our ability to change the building the way we want to or use the space that we want to or leave the space that we want the way we want to is impossible because it's not our building. We don't reside here. We don't own it. And oftentimes, those are the same limitations we put on the when it comes to our perspective on Christ dwelling within us. If Christ is dwelling within us, then the often cherished ideas of independence, self-determination, self-fulfillment must be abandoned, at least the way we understand them in the world that we live in today. You see, Christ indwelling in our hearts means we're not our own. We are to live as Christ is the owner of the building. He's the owner of our lives, and he has the ability to change and rearrange and move things as he pleases. And once, and what was once a cherished idea of self-independence now changes to complete and utter dependence on him. Our self-determination changes to his determination on our lives. Our desire for self-fulfillment is now changed to fulfill God's desires. 
And it's a complete and total perspective change from one that focuses on the will and desire of our, desires of ourselves to one that focuses on God and his will and his desires. As it says in Romans, to be with Christ is to be stamped by his very character, to be clothed by him. Christ in us is the power of God used to shape and change our lives for his purposes. And to think that we could possibly believe in Christ without being like him or changed by him is completely illogical. Therefore, if you're in this room this morning and you fully believe that Christ dwells within you and you're not seeing change in your life, you're not seeing change in your heart, you're not even seeing the smallest transformations that cause you to resemble him more today than you did before, then you must ask yourself, why? Why is that? You must contemplate and reflect on this. You see, in many ways throughout this passage, Paul is praying for us and calling us to a place of contemplation. He's calling us to a place of reflection. He is praying that our focus would be less on the physical and outward needs of our lives and more on the state of our inner being. He's praying we would reflect on whether or not our lives actually exemplify Christ who is dwelling within us. But an important part of that reflection, an important part of that contemplation this fleshing out of God's work in our lives cannot be done alone. The day-to-day application and the implication of the gospel in our lives, the learning and the embracing of God's love has to be done in community. We're going to see that in verses 19, 17 through 19. Paul says this, I pray so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend. Here's where it is. Comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, depth, length, and height, and breadth, length, height, and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. You see, what this text says is we learn in community with the body of Christ. We sing together, we listen together, we are disciplined together. By God's grace, we are a family. And to learn and know of the love of Christ is accomplished and lived out in community. The breadth, the length, the height, the depth of God's love is impossible for us to fully grasp when we are living a life on our own. And we're only dependent on our own brilliance. And we're only dependent on ourselves. And quite frankly, this is something that I've had to learn over and over and over again. God continues to show me that the need to readjust my perspective and be reminded of how important community is, he's constantly doing this for me. Because when times are difficult and when suffering comes along, I can still know and comprehend and be reminded of the length, breadth, height, and depth of God's love for me. And so this past year has been one of those years where he's constantly been showing me that and reminding that, reminding my family of that and community. It's been one of those, for our family, it's been one of those years with lots of excitement and times of despair. Uh, If you don't know this, in January of 2018, a little over 14 months ago, our family embarked on God's calling in our lives to grow our family through adoption. It's something that had been on our hearts for many years, but for one reason or another, it never quite worked out. But then this last year, God set up all the dominoes and they started to fall. Uh, The paperwork chase, the uh, background checks, the home study, everything went off without a hitch in less than six weeks. 
we were able to actually start presenting our family profile to expectant moms. And a family profile is basically just this magazine of your family with pictures and stories of who you are. And expectant moms get to choose from multiples of these on who they potentially want to place their child with. And so in six weeks, this was lightning fast in the adoption world. It gave me this false sense of security that the rest of the process was going to be the same way. And so we presented within days right after we finished this process. We presented to this first expectant mom, but uh, that's when the first no came. And it wasn't so much as a no to my family as it was a yes to another family, but it still hurt. It felt like a no. And then it continued. It was no after no after no for about six months. And then in August of last year, we got our yes. And at this point, we, presented, we had presented to seven or eight expectant moms. And statistically speaking, the average number of no's that adoptive parents get before getting their yes is six. So as far as I was concerned, God was working within statistical averages, so I was okay with that. <laughs> so we got our yes. But unfortunately, after six weeks of developing a relationship with that mom, going to doctor's visits with that mom, going to hospital tours with that mom, being there for the birth of this baby girl, spending three days holding her in the NICU, having doctors and nurses refer to us as mom and dad. We were told that the birth mom had changed her mind and she was going to parent the baby. And that happens. And so we left the hospital brokenhearted, but we were happy for this mom and her baby girl. But unfortunately, the story didn't end there. Later on, just hours later, I Googled her. I knew her last name finally because we were in the hospital, and so I Googled her. And unfortunately, I found out that this birth mom was out on bail for defrauding other adoptive parents and agencies, and more than likely, she never intended on placing with us in the first place. And our world that night came crashing down. Everything we had done and seen and believed up to that point about that mom and her baby girl was a complete lie. We were devastated. We were angry. I was angry. Um, I was lost, we were hurt, my wife was hurt, our kids were in pain, and we began to question whether or not that we could even move forward in this process. However, because of some very wise words from my oldest son, and because of our view on God and the amount of trust that we had placed in God as our Father, because of our dependence on Him and our ability to go to Him with every need and every emotion, we did just that. We went to Him often, went to Him in anger, in frustration, we went to him in despair. We went to him in sadness. We went, I went to him with a level of skepticism and doubt about whether or not this was actually what we were supposed to be doing with our lives. And the beautiful part about this entire time that we had is he never responded in anger and frustration. Rather, he just continued to reassure us of his love. His word, our prayers, Songs began to continue to reassure us of his love. God continued to show me and Danny the breadth, depth, length, and height of his love for us through our worship of him. And all throughout this process, especially during that time, Christ was working in us. Uh, Christ was in our hearts. He was changing us. He was moving us. He was sanctifying us, even in the midst of that heartache. And our worship of Christ and his presence with us and in us, this comforting and sanctifying as he was comforting and sanctifying us and encouraging us is what enabled us to actually continue to press forward. It sh we shifted our perspective from what we were experiencing and grieving and suffering to him and his continued desires in our lives. But unfortunately, the no's didn't stop. In total, within 13 months of since we started the process to adopt, we received 
and prayed through upwards of 70 different expectant mom situations. And we presented to 15, each one ending in another no, not yet, and disappointment and continued waiting. Then on Tuesday, February 19th, three weeks ago, I was having coffee with my discipleship group. And these men, uh, over the last several months, have become some of my strongest advocates and encouragers throughout the situation. They have been there week after week after week encouraging me and praying with me to keep on keeping on, reminding me of God's plan, reminding me of God's timing rather than my own timing. They wouldn't let me forget the truth of God's love for me. But that Tuesday morning was different. My heart was different on February 19th. I was seriously doubting the plans that God had for me. I told them that I didn't know if I could keep this up much longer. You see, the toll of the process that this was taking on me and my family was more than we thought it would ever be. And I told them that we had received another no that week, which was no number 15, but then we presented to another mom the next day on February 18th. And I'll never forget that morning. I'll never forget the doubt and the skepticism that was creeping in my heart. I'll never forget the encouragement that Brett and Andy gave me that morning because it was just 12 hours later that we received a phone call from the agency that was we, the, the expectant mom that we had presented to um, to tell us that she had chosen us. We finally got our yes. Every emotion that you could imagine came rushing in. Excitement was to come uh, jo- for the joy uh, that, was finally gonna be, that we were finally chosen. Fear of what could possibly happen again. Sadness over the reminder of this failed adoption previously. But God. But God. Because it was then again that this community, my discipleship groups, my friends, this, my wife had this prayer text with over 30 people on this group text that constantly were reminding us of this God's timing and his plans and his love for us. You see, it was that community that became right around us again. And this time it was meant to be. That very Tuesday, February 19th, we finally got our yes, and just 10 days later, we were holding a brand new beautiful baby girl in the hospital nursery. We received a phone call at 2 p.m. that Friday, and the agency shared the news that the birth mom had signed the papers, and we were now mom and dad to Arabella and Michelle Agnew. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. There's a picture. Um, This was us just after we found out. There's Bella, and we just found out moments before that. Um... It was incredible walking through that time. Bella's story and God's faithfulness is something that I'll never forget. Because 10 days prior to that phone call, I was wrestling with God. I was wrestling with and contemplating whether or not I had the power to keep on going. I was wrestling with the suffering and struggle that my family was going through during the process, and I was wrestling and wondering if God actually knew what he was doing. But again, because of my trust and relationship with him, because of Christ dwelling within my heart, giving me the kind of access to God that I can come to him at any time of day or night with any thought or emotion because of the community that surrounded my family and I during the process, constantly reminding us and strengthening us to know and comprehend God's love for us. Due to God's power and his power alone, we were able to do far more than we could ever ask or think. You see, throughout the entire process, I fully believe that God was more interested in changing our perspective than changing our circumstance. I fully believe that God planned and allowed us to walk through what we had to walk through so that we could come to the end of ourselves and a place of full trust and reliance on him. God wanted to change our perspective before he changed our situation, and he did. 
I'm going to read something to you that my wife wrote two months before we got our yes. And if you don't, mind, if you don't know my wife, you need to. She's amazing, much holier than I am. I married up for sure, but she wrote this two months before we got our yes. She says, I'm surprisingly grateful for this experience. God is growing my faith and trust in him so much. We're tired, and sometimes I just want to call it quits and live a comfortable little life with my three little boys. But it's like he's got my heart and feet set on this path, and I don't even know if it's for the purpose of having a new baby or if it's just for the purpose of trusting in him and waiting and seeing him show up in small and intimate ways. And so I continue to look to Jesus, the only baby who will ever fulfill the deep desires of my soul. You see, God changed our perspective before he changed our situation. And perhaps that's you this morning. Perhaps he's doing that in your life right now. Perhaps you came in this morning and you walked into church today and you are suffering. Perhaps you're suffering through health problems or issues with money or family or sin. Whatever it is, I want to assure you that it's okay to pray to God about those things. It's okay to pray for physical healing. It's okay to pray for your marriage. It's okay to pray for your kids. It's okay to pray, pray for release from the bondage of that sin that you're fighting. It's okay to pray for those things. And if that's you, I need you to hear these words from Paul. Don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, wants to be your father. God, the father, wants to strengthen you and encourage you and change you through the Holy Spirit, Christ dwelling in your heart. God, the father, wants to strengthen you and help you through a community of believers to know and comprehend the love that he has for you. Church, God doesn't necessarily want to change your situation, but he wants to give you a new perspective that allows you to make it through and rise above those situations. Now, it doesn't mean that the heartache and the pain and the suffering goes away. It doesn't mean that. We will always remember that baby girl that we spent three days with in the hospital. We will always remember the songs that we sang to her. We will always remember the pain that we felt when we left her. And as much as I wished and prayed that God would change that situation and take that pain away, he didn't. But what he did do was he gave us a new perspective. So please hear me. I don't want to lead anyone to believe that if you change your perspective, he will change your situation. He may never change the circumstances you're facing, but here's the promise he has for you. He will be with you in the midst of them. The good news is that Jesus is with you in the heartache and the pain. The good news is that Jesus helps you endure in your suffering. And the good news is that Jesus overcame the very worst life could throw at you and now gives you strength to make it through. And the knowledge of his love and the hope of eternal life is with you. Yes, Jesus, we, yes, we do have pain in this world, but Jesus has overcome the world. Remember, Paul is writing to the church of Ephesus here, a church that without a doubt is experiencing sadness and discouragement but, and because of Paul's imprisonment. And Paul's looking at them. He says, I know where you are right now. I get it. I understand what you're experiencing. I can empathize with you, but don't lose heart because God the Father, through the work of the Holy Spirit and Christ dwelling within you, is going to show you together as the church the love that he has for you because what we read in verse 20, because church, he is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power and work within us. Church, even in the midst of your suffering, God is alive. God is working. God is moving and when we shift our perspective away from the immediate situation and on to him, that pain will subside. 
that pain will diminish. And God will do amazing things. As it says in verse 20, he will do far more than we could ever think or ask. And because of that, church, our only response to him, our only response to what he's done for us is to proclaim his greatness and fall at his feet in worship. As verse 21 says, to him be the glory in the church in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. When our focus is on him, when our worship is of him, when Christ dwells within our hearts, when honest and authentic community is being lived out, the love of God will surely be made known to those that he loves. And our perspective in life will change. And in doing so, we will be able to live the full life that he has called us to as Christians, even in the midst of suffering. Amen? Let's pray. God, we thank you for this text. We thank you for Paul and the life that he lived, this example that he set out before us. I thank you for his prayer, his prayer for the church of Ephesus and how much that speaks to us today, God. And so, God, as we look at this, I just, I pray that we would come to you with that posture of humility, that we would bow our knees before you as God the Father, the creator of the universe, but also as our Father. That you have done a mighty work And through the gospel of Jesus Christ, our spirit is now dwelling, your spirit is now dwelling within us and Christ has the ability to change and move us and rearrange us. And so God, I ask that you would do just amazing things in us as a church, that you would work in our lives in such a way that we wouldn't be able to even step back and say, oh, that's, that's how I looked before and I look the same today. But no, we are much different today because of your son. I pray that we would, as a church, rally around one another. That we would recognize that we don't know everything that's going on in in each other's lives, but that we would have a heart to just go ask, how are you doing? And in that, we would comfort one another. We would love one another. We would promise one another and show one another what Christ's love looks like for us. We would begin to show one another what the breadth and length and height and depth of his love is for us pray we would do that abundantly. So church, I thank you. God, I thank you for this church. I thank you for this body of believers that does that already, but I pray that you would move even more mightily among us. God, would you turn our eyes from ourselves? Would you turn our focus from us and place them squarely on you? And would you do a mighty work in us? We love you, Father. It's your son's name we pray. Amen. Church, let's stand and continue.